welcome to episode 150 of the Effect Podcast. Avast there, landlubbers! Pirates on the port bow! My name's Matthew. And I'm Dave. As usual, we've got an action-packed episode, but this is the 150th episode. Who'd have believed it, eh? All those Who'd have believed ago. it? And who'd, who'd have believed it would have only taken 150 episodes to do that whole intro sequence without fucking up at any point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That is worthy of pausing and reflecting, actually, on how far we've come, which we will actually do a bit later on in, uh, in the episode. So what have we got on the cards for today? So as usual, uh, we start with the most important thing, which is thanking uh, our patrons and our new patrons who've come aboard in the, the last couple of weeks. World of Gaming, we've got actually loads to talk about here. This might be a long episode, guys, so buckle up and get ready for the ride. Um, yeah, there's tons of stuff to talk about in the world of gaming. We're also, because it's our 150th episode, we are going to run a little competition, which Matthew will tell us all about a bit later on. Um, it's really actually uh, appropriate that being the 150th episode, this is the episode on which we finally finish all our essays on all the factions in Coriolis. So Matthew is going to give us a talk through the Syndicate. Now, we have talked about them before a long time ago, but we have... Episode done... 18, indeed. Episode 18, a very long time ago. So, um, yeah, we're going to do the last faction today. So that's the Syndicate later on. And then after that, last but not least, we've got our special interview with Alex Aguila from uh, Firelock Games. Also, you'll, many of you will know that he's the author of Outpost 247, the alien uh, RPG scenario that won the first short scenario competition run on the Facebook uh, group for Alien. And uh, we've got a great chat with him coming up a bit later on. That was really, really cool. And then we'll wrap yeah, up. Yeah, and there's some exciting news in that chat, isn't there? Which I'm not sure anybody knows yet, except um, uh, we, we're effectively going to break it. We we originally invited Alex along because, um, you know, he'd written that adventure and we've got a competition. So we thought it would be really handy to have somebody who's won a competition saying, <laughs> you know, a little bit about writing it. But he came with some pretty exciting news that we will hear in the interview. Indeed. Stay tuned, folks. Even <laughs> if it is a long one, stay tuned to the end. I know I know they all do stay tuned to the end, but yeah, so uh, but get ready for it, guys. Get the popcorn in. It's going to be a long one. First We've... of all, though, let's uh, let's say thank you to our new patrons and, you know, I can't remember the last time we had an episode where we weren't thanking some new patrons. We got Two, um, uh, one of whom is actually joined us uh, yesterday on the game we streamed, the Session Zero mm. we streamed, and that is Will Lodson. Hi, Will. Thank Thanks you, for joining, Will. mate. Yeah, absolutely. And a, a great a great player. Really got stuck in yesterday as well, so that was really cool. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Especially seeing uh, he's, he's in the US, so the time difference might, be, uh, might cause him a few more problems than it does for people over here in Europe. But that was yeah, great. but as he pointed out, I was worried by that. But as he pointed out, he works nights, so um, <laughs> so cool. that's good. Good for us. He'll yeah. be joining us. I think. I think you'll find he was joining us quite regularly on that. Yeah, campaign. absolutely. Seems keen. More that's about great. that campaign later on, though. Let's move on to Aaron Silverman. Aaron Silverman, thank you very much. Thanks, Aaron. Cheers. Great to see you. Uh, have your board. 
Um, like as you say, Matthew, it's it, it's wonderful that we can't remember the last time we had an episode where we weren't thanking somebody. So it's it's wonderful just to see the ongoing support we get from all of our patrons, uh, you know, past, present. Um, but yeah, great big thank you as always. And of course, um, uh, these two patrons plus the ones we got uh, that we mentioned in the last episode have tipped us over a goal. So we'll be talking about that goal at the end of this episode and what yes. it means for the podcast Indeed. in the future. Absolutely. Right. Let's go straight on to the world of gaming then. Um, Matthew, you, you wanted to talk about the zine quest. Yes, indeedy. So a zine quest, we've got quite a lot of Kickstarter news. Um, and you might be a little bit surprised that we're not starting with the biggest Kickstarter news first. <laughs> but, you know, we like to keep you waiting. So zine quest, the month of February for the last three years has been a month in which uh, Kickstarter focuses on small creators and short campaigns to produce what you and I, Dave, used to think of as fanzines yep. uh, back in the day. Uh, and before the wonderful world of podcasting, it was the only way you could get people to listen to the drivel that you and I used to write. But now, <laughs> now it's so easy. Um, and uh, Dave and I, uh, our, our first collaboration, in fact, was, was a fanzine, wasn't it? It was. Uh, song, uh, and Songs of Blood and Sorrow in about 1985. And we and that was mostly, in fact, in almost entirely, I think, your Judge Dread adventure for the Judge Dread role playing game from Games Workshop. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, which was really I, I remember kind of saying after we'd played that adventure, "Wow, that was really good. We should publish that," and we uh -huh. did. And that was the only ever issue of Songs of Blood and Sorrow because <laughs> yeah, we didn't get very far, did we? Frankly, you know, for cost of photocopying and all that sort of stuff. It genuinely is a lot easier to make a podcast now than it was to make a fanzine back then. Um, anyway, uh, so if you want to make a fanzine, it you know it does cost, and so this is a way of raising those costs. And there are all sorts of interesting games uh, being produced in fanzine format. So if you go to Kickstarter, uh, have a look at those. They're two-week campaigns, so some have started already. Some more ones are starting, and indeed, uh, there's one starting next week for one of our patrons, and we're going to be having him on uh, in the next episode to talk about that one because it's um, it's a game I've known about for some time. He's been working on it for years, mm -hmm. uh, and it's perfect for Zine Quest. Excellent. But just go to Kickstarter. At the top of the page, there should be a banner that says Zine Quest, and that will take you to all the wonderful games that are going on there. Cool. And the next, now, maybe it's time to do the really big yeah. uh, Kickstarter news, isn't it? I, th I think so. So as of yesterday, I think it was yesterday, or was it the day before? It was it, yesterday. That it, was it was the started. 11th. Yeah, so literally, uh, at the time of recording, it's been about 24 hours, actually. And this is the Kickstarter from um, Free League for... Francesco's The One Ring. Uh, Francesco uh, Nepitello uh, is the designer. And how is it doing in its first It's doing hours? really well. It's doing it's quite doing well, isn't it? Really, really well. So uh, we talked to Francesco in our last episode. Which we were a, quite excited. And pleasure. back then, interestingly, of course, we were expecting the uh, announcement to be made just days after our 
episode went out and possibly the Kickstarter, I think, was planned to start on the 1st or the 2nd of February. The 2nd of February was the original plan, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it was all a week later and the announcement was only made on the 7th and then it launched, as we say, yesterday at the time of recording. And it's not even 24 hours because it launched at 2 o'clock yesterday and we're recording this at half past nine-ish. And it's already made half, almost half a million pounds. Their goal was a hundred thousand Swedish kroner, and it well, has made yeah. five million three hundred and sixty-six thousand one hundred and eighty. Uh, one, sorry, somebody's just dropped out. One hundred and seventy-nine. Putting that thousand in... uh, 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 kroner. Sorry, putting putting that into pounds. The goal was eight thousand seven hundred and four. And they're currently on 467,163 with 5,444 backers and 20 days to go. So I think it's done quite well, don't you? Yes, this <laughs> means that by money in money terms, I think it's already less than a day after starting the most successful Kickstarter that Free League have run. Yeah. yeah and it's I got mean... 5,445 backers as well which I think um, knocks uh, most of the games that Free League have produced, including our favourite Coriolis, into a cocked hat. I think <laughs> yeah. um, the last one they did, Twilight 2000, got 8,000 backers in total. But that was at the end of the campaign, and here we are less than a day in, yeah. and we're all already well on our way to beating okay. that 8,000 backers. And it, it, it looks beautiful. The artwork, as always, Martin... Grip's artwork is looking absolutely stunning. And yeah, I mean, I it's a game that, that I backed. I backed for the um, uh, the limited edition copy of the rule book. Pretty much everybody's backing for that yeah. limited edition. I mean, I, I didn't, I, I don't know when I'm going to get to play it, I guess. I think you're <laughs> talking about doing running one, which is, uh, which will be brilliant because I think I'd see myself playing this rather than GMing it, perhaps. But uh, I've, I've never really played in middle earth very much at all i think we talked about this last time um we so did I, yes I'm, we don't want to no so i'm really interested to give it a go and i think uh obviously you've got 20 days guys uh at the point of of recording which is friday the 12th uh, of february so if you're interested go and back it can i just talk about the interior layout as well while we're here if you want to bore all our readers senseless then yes you can because layout is such an important thing and it if is. i had a critic i i did get i got pdfs of the first version in a bundle of holding some time ago so it wasn't a thing that uh, i was super excited about when it came out um but when it came out cheaply i i got it uh, uh, got that bundle and i was kind of disappointed by the page layout i don't want to diss any of the people working on that because uh, but it it was so much of its time, quite yeah. old-fashioned. And we know that the designers at Free League do such a fabulous job of layout and make everything uh, fit whatever the theme of the game is. They manage yeah. to create a book that fits the theme of that game. And in my head, when, I was when we were talking with uh, Martin and Francesco in the last episode, I tried to uh, probe Martin a little bit about what the payout what the layout would be like and he was quite clam like in that respect he talked <laughs> about all sorts of other stuff but he didn't quite reveal he said it would be different obviously 
What I wanted, though, when I was having that conversation was exactly what we're seeing in these page layouts mm. that they've got on the sample pages on the Kickstarter. Um, Tolkien himself used quite a lot of red ink um, in, in his hand-drawn maps and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And that's what I wanted, and that's what we've got. It looks fabulous. And the interior, are, of course, a lot of it is being done by, um, by Martin Grip, but we've also got beautiful... Uh, black and white interior yeah. art by uh, Tapia. Um, yeah, Alvaro Tapia. Yeah, Alvaro Tapia, who did um, Forbidden Lands. Yeah, uh, well, did the Bitter Reach specifically? Okay, yeah, Forbidden right, Lands, yeah. and uh, it's gorgeous. And it again, is. it fits the theme so well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you know, I mean, even I mean, though I mean, frankly, I think. Go on, that. Sorry, I was going to say, even though we are going to struggle to find time to fit this game in because there were so many great games we want to play. This is a thing I want to have on my shelves. And I knew that yeah. as soon as I was, well, I was back at number 35. <laughs> and uh, um, and for a time, I thought I might, might have been back at number one because I, I did it as soon as it came in. And then it said I was back at number zero for a little time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in yeah. the end, it evened out at thirty-five. A great rush of people, and I. But you know, one glance at the page, and I knew I had to back it. Yeah, well, I think frankly, this is this is kind of what we come to expect as the default baseline for a free league game. And actually, they've they've set their own bar so high that it's if if they drop below that, they still might make a beautiful game, but we might be disappointed if you get what I mean. Because yeah. their, their standards have been so set so high and have delivered so much. But, yeah, so it's there, guys. Go and back it. Um... I've got just one more thing to say before we say just go and back it. Uh, they've, they've blasted through all their stretch goals. I yeah. think they blasted through their first set of stretch goals in the first 10 Two minutes hours, or something. <laughs> something like that. Then they put another set of stretch goals up. They went through those no time at all. We're waiting for a third set of stretch goals. One of the things I've seen people, and I think this is people who are new to Free League coming from the, the One Ring fan community, is a lot of them are saying, oh, could one of the stretch goals be better quality paper and production? And I'm thinking, these are guys that don't know Free League. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they start with the best quality yeah. or whatever the quality is that should be for the genre of the game they're making. They will never go for cheaper paper to get the game out. No. So... So yeah, I don't think we're going to see a better quality paper thing. I'd quite like to see a dust cover for that um, leatherette special edition because okay. by getting the leatherette special edition, of course, you're missing out on um, uh, another piece of Martin Grip artwork, and it'd be lovely to have that. That's true. On a dust cover, if um, you can, so, that would be a thing that I have. But uh, yeah, we're just waiting for more stretch goals. It's going to be a fabulous campaign. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm just flicking through them now, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, what can you say? It's uh, it, it's good stuff. All right, let's leave the one ring there. Um, what else have we got to talk about in the world of gaming? We have we've um, got some more Kickstarters, haven't we? Um, we? We do. Ah, yeah. So this one, I think I'm I'm not backing um, because I didn't back the other one. But it's uh, in in the spirit of continuation. Um, some time ago. We interviewed uh, Frederico at Dragon Meat about his game Nibiru. Yep. And there's an expansion coming called Xanadu, isn't there? Well, it's 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 open now, isn't it? That Kickstarter. So uh, 
Um, yes, yes, the Kickstarter is up and running. Yeah. So if we inspired you to buy Nibiru uh, two, three years ago, whenever that was, then um, we'll put a link in the show notes to the Xanadu expansion. Yeah. So I didn't back Nibiru when it came out. Um, I'm probably not going to back this then, obviously. But um, I think that the, for those who don't know, just, just rehearse slightly some of the principles behind it. There is... Uh, one of the principles of the game is that you unlock your memories uh, of your character uh, as you go through the campaign and you will unlock them by taking an action. So, for example, there's a lovely good example in the Nibiru book, which is someone fighting, trying to hit a bad guy with a piece of wood. And the memory he's got in the back of his head, which is just coming up, is him playing baseball when he was younger. And then that then flowed through into your skills and your abilities. And I like that idea. I think it works really well for maybe you know for for one particular campaign. I have had sort of concerns over replayability once you've gone through that journey once, maybe it might not hold the same kind of allure to do it again. But I know people who've got it and really love the game and I think it's a, it's a beautifully produced um, game as well. So if you are yeah if you're interested in that go and back it cuz uh, yeah there's a lot of people who do really like it. Yeah, and I think the original Nibiru came out in co-production with Modifius, whereas I think uh, Frederico is doing this entirely on his lonesome this ah, time. Cool. So, uh, so good luck to you. Uh, I, I love, as you say, I love that mechanic. I've always wanted to do a game where you start off as a sort of tabla rasa, and as you play, you build your character and you get to know your character. Yeah. Which I think is kind of what happens in a good uh, game anyway, even if you've created a character at the beginning. Um, you, you know, I think a lot of people spend too much time creating their backstory at the beginning where they should really discover their backstory through play. And this is a game that actually makes you do that. Yeah, uh, So I'm all for the principles behind it. The thing that put me off the game was the D4s. Um, and yeah. I know that the original Kickstarter came with D4s that were actually D12s with one to four, three times on it. Mm. But yeah. in you know when we were talking with Federico, I was trying to pick up uh, a pool of D4s from the table. And by God, that's a really annoying dice. Um, <laughs> in fact, uh, a few months ago, I got the Moomin set of dice. And I notice uh, that uh, the D4 is Little Mai, the most annoying of the characters in the Moomins is also the most annoying dice in any <laughs> polyhedral dice set. I think that's intentional. That's very appropriate, yeah. Cool. Uh, uh, excellent. Yeah, so um, what else do we have? We've got another Kickstarter, uh, which I think is kind of an interesting one. I briefly wanted to mention, uh, we'll put this a link to it in the show notes again. It's uh, from Mongoose, who now have uh, the best version of the Traveller game. Mongoose Traveller version 2 and yep. they've got an expansion for that coming out which I feel is kind of interestingly <laughs> timed because it's yeah. the Traveller Mercenary set. Yes, I thought the same when I saw that. Yeah. And um, what could it possibly be interestingly timed to coincide with then, Matthew? Well, with the <laughs> upcoming uh, release <laughs> of the, uh, the Marine uh, Colonial Marines Operations Manual from our favourite games company, Freely. It could be. Um, so I haven't looked into the Traveller Mercenary set particularly. Is there um, is there much to comment on on what they're trying to cover? 
Uh, I don't know. I I think we're going to have to get uh, our friend and patron, Andy Brick, to tell us about this. I think he has backed it because Andy, if nothing else, is a traveller fan. That's very true. Um, His money is tight at the moment because he's just changing between jobs and he's very busy. So I don't know whether he's had time to look into it. But when, when he has... Maybe we'll get him on the show to talk a little bit about that and the differences and similarities yeah. between that and <clears throat> or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was uh, an interesting little thing coming out. And I wondered whether it was influenced at all by the pre-order success of the <clears throat> Alien Colonial Marines Operations Manual, which you have some news about, Dave, don't you? So I guess, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I suspect that our listeners will know already that um, Free League just recently announced the delay to publication of the um, operations manual, largely down to the fact that um, Drew Gasker doesn't know when to stop writing. So <laughs> it seems that Drew has produced so much material that, that they've all sort of thought, well, this is stuff we would really want to include. And therefore, getting it into the right shape and getting it into the right place to be in the book obviously takes time. And uh, that takes obviously is going to, that's caused the delay to, to the publication. So they're now talking about April, I think, for the... Which isn't too bad a delay, is it? Really? No, it's not. And I think, you know, whilst whilst it's, it's disappointing for a lot of the fans, uh, I, can, I can totally understand that. I think most people would rather have a really well put together and well written game or book that takes a couple of months longer to produce than something that's a bit shoddy and doesn't really hit the mark, but comes out on the, on the, you know, the, the day they said. So I think it's, it's absolutely fine. Um, get it right. And I'd much rather that, you know, let's get a really good product to have it, even if we do have to wait a bit longer for it. So I, I fortunately, luckily have a little bit of an insight. I've been editing some of it. Um, there are a number of missions that are in that and I've been editing those. And some of those are, uh, there's some really good stories in there. Um, and it's but you haven't even had all of those yet to edit, have you? So, no, I haven't had all of them yet. Um, but work is progressing at, uh, yeah, at, at, at a considerable pace to get all these things together. I mean, I'm coming in right at the end of the process um, for writing mm-hmm. these. So it's not as if uh, it comes yes, to me. Yes, there's not much more work. Uh, Precisely. Um, so I'm, I'm basically running through it, a bit of an edit, a bit of a sense check. Um, and a bit of a sure, play test a bit of a play test um as well and making sure that we get the the balance right for the best player experience so they're really good stories then i just add a bit of a bit of a polish to them um so now yeah we ha- uh, you haven't had time to play test all of the adventures i guess because that would just delay even more if we did that wouldn't it um well i'm, t- I'm going through them as quickly as i can so hmm. uh, we'll even if even if i miss my deadlines um I'll still give the playtest and feedback if anything critical comes out of that. Because you know, a lot of things do come out in play that don't come out when you read it on the page. And mm, yeah, so the, no, the, the playtesters we've got, you know, including you, are very good and very insightful and have got a really good focus on player experience. So cool. um, we get some really good feedback from the guys. And are we recording those playtests for some future uh, episodes of our AP podcast? So we, yes, we have. The um, uh, my my only caveat is certainly on well on, on the ones we've done so far we've had a limited amount of time to play test and we haven't run through the whole mission mm. so we've got to a point in the mission and then we've 
uh, had to resolve into the discussion right. about the game. Um, yeah. But that's fine because we've gone through the meat of it. The, the setup and all the rest of it has been has been properly checked. So it's a good opening for the players to get the missions running. Um, and that works quite well. So whether they are broadcastable in the sense that there would be a whole story to listen to, probably not. Mm. They might be broadcastable if people just wanted to listen in on how we went through the playtest. Um, yeah. And hear, and hear yeah. our discussions about it at the end. But we, we could be clear to people about, you know, this is this is this is the situation with these recordings. Um, so don't be disappointed if, you know, if the finale is discussed rather than played through, as it were. Well, we have got a real backlog of um, AP recordings, so it's not essential that we we put them on our AP stream. We have got fucking masses of stuff. We've got, but actually, we've got... it might be worth just we we didn't schedule this in, but I think it might actually be worth raising a question for our listeners right what, now. What do you want to hear? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I I was just thinking about this this morning. I might even put a put uh, a poll up on Twitter um, today, Friday, the last episode of our Destroyer of the Worlds playtest mm-hmm. uh, dropped into that's, people's feeds. That's and been so... a bloody marathon getting that out. I mean, that's that what, has been yeah. nineteen <laughs> episodes. Well, I'm glad I finished editing that. <laughs> and is it eighteen or nineteen episodes? I 19. think it's nineteen episodes 19, in total, yeah. actually. Um, so, so that that's dropped. Uh, so I said, uh, Dave, you can take a rest from editing playtests. Uh, I I've got at least two to do. But which of those two would our listeners like to hear? We've just hit five thousand downloads of that new um, actual play feed. Cool. So we've got a small audience that we have for our main podcast, but uh, but a very discerning one, obviously. <laughs> obviously. And uh, and so. I'll give you a choice, both of which are continuations of previous um, actual plays that we've got. I was thinking that I would do uh, the last bit of A Ruby for Crocker, the Mm -hmm. game that we played in November, and that's ready to go. But also I wondered whether people who haven't been watching our Coriolis uh, stream would like us to continue converting that onto a uh, podcast format. So uh, there's a choice there. I think you want Coriolis, some more Merce of the Icons for a bit, or would you like the last session of A Ruby for Rocker? They, they will both eventually get done, but which would you like first? Yeah, um, okay. So also on, on the books, we also have a playthrough of Chariot of the Gods, mm-hmm. uh, which is run by Tony. So I actually got to play for once, which is really cool. Um, we also have, what else do we have? We've got, you've, a got lot... an, uh, you've got another Coriolis and another alien, I think somewhere. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what alien we've got now, actually, there's definitely uh... more in there, but also we've got uh, a lot of recordings of the play tests we, I've been running of tales of the old West, the mm. game that the game that we are developing and, um, there's some great stuff there, actually. The players have, have really brought that to life. So we could run quite a lot of Tales of the Old West as well. So we've, we've got content for the next year, at least, if not more, at the rate that we're currently broadcasting it. Cool. And we're doing right. an episode a week. Um, 
I'm I'm kind of loath, what with our other news as well, to to imagine that we'll ever do two episodes a week, but that may yeah. happen. Or maybe we'd put a third stream out, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, okay. Lot so to think else? about. So we've talked about um, the Alien uh, Colonial Marines Operations Manual. That's coming soon. So look out for that, guys. It should be really, really good. Um, but also, the other thing I wanted to mention about Alien is, uh, and this kind of foreshadows our interview later on, that uh, next weekend, the weekend of the 20th of February, I am running um, Alien Dead Sea, which is the next scenario written by uh, our guest on the show later on, Alex Aguila, who um, who did Outpost 247 that I ran on our friend Doug's Victory Condition Gaming Channel. So we're running Dead Sea uh, on the 20th of February uh, on Doug's channel again. Um, so I just wanted to flag that for anybody who's interested to tune in. I think we are going live at 1600 GMT which will be 11 Eastern uh, on Saturday, the 20th of February. So uh, that will be in uh, about a week from when we're recording and a bit yeah. less than a week after this episode drops. Yeah, absolutely. And is that on Doug's uh, VCG channel that's, or is it on the is, Free League? No, that's on, that's on Victory Condition Gaming. Um, cool. You, so you can find that there uh, with our previous things that we've done uh, in collaboration with Doug and the crowd. So it should be good. Excellent. Looking forward to that. Um, the final thing I was going to mention on Alien was um, what happened last night. So last night, in terms of, of when we recorded, was Thursday the uh, 11th of February. And we went through the session zero of our new Alien campaign stream called Alien the Colony. Uh, and in this, we have uh, what, about nine players yesterday rolling up their characters and then locating their planet and settling before we run the first of the scenarios in two weeks' time, it's going to be a fortnightly schedule. Um, and that went really well, using rules that I've written a long time ago, which um, which I like, actually, very much. Um, <laughs> well, of course you'd like them, Dave, because you wrote them. Speaking as somebody that's now uh, played with them uh, for the first time, uh, uh, that was a really good, fun session. So... Uh, the idea is to test out how well uh, campaign mode works in a way, yeah, but also to expand a little bit on the idea of a colony campaign, which is why we're calling it Alien the Colony. And to try and do that in a slightly uh, what you might call a West Marches yeah. sort of way. So, uh, as you say, nine players joined you yesterday. Uh, we've got a couple more that are going to be creating characters as well, although they weren't in on that session. They couldn't make that session. So we're going to have a pool of, I don't know, something like 11, 12 players. It will be 12 but, eventually, yeah. But you won't be playing with those each session. So no. each session will focus on four or five of those players every time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think it should be really good. And I think, you know, one of the principles that I put into this is that the, the planet where you settle is at least as important a character as the player characters. And so the rules I've done allow you to generate a planet that should feel completely unique and should give you lots of interesting things to explore and lots of interesting plot hooks for me as the GM to try and uh, drive the campaign forward. But it, uh, yeah, it, it should be really interesting to see how it plays out. So at the moment, I, I don't have a uh, kind of meta plot 
that I want to play through. I'm going to think of some interesting scenarios to run for the groups of players that we've got. So we've got one group, which is pretty much um, the, the, uh, the commissar or colonial marshal team. We've got another group, which is sort of scientists, and they've got a bit of a backstory about kind of the things they're up to. We have another group, which is um, sort of company men, because it's, uh, it's a combined UPP and LaSalle Bionational uh, colony, which is very much along the lines of sort of one country, two systems um, approach, as we have kind of here in, <laughs> on Earth in some places. That doesn't seem to work terribly well at the moment, sadly. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be exploring all of those things. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, a, yeah. meta, a meta plot will emerge as we go through, I'm sure. And I do just want to give a shout out to one of our Twitter fans who said something very nice the day before uh, we were recording this, which was that um, they very much enjoyed Alanya Bay. Alenia mm. Bay. How do you say that word? Olenia. Olenia Bay. That's Olenia it. Bay, yeah. Which is an adventure um, that you did again. Our second adventure featuring UPP characters. Uh, but this, um, I'm just trying to find the tweet now. And I, so many people have tweeted at us. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought it was going. Yeah, so Thrice Dead Thief is our Twitter fan cool. yeah. who said that uh, he was really enjoying that show and the UPP stuff that we were bringing and hoped we'd see some more UPP stuff. And so we're going to be, we're going to be making UPP stuff up as we go along. Yes. Completely. Uh, uh, I, I, my, I, I'm playing one of the commissars team. I'm a kind of detective character. Uh, and I realized that really having a, the Magnum that is in the core book as uh, the thing that colonial marshal should have is not appropriate for somebody from the <sighs> glorious union of progressive people. So we're going to have to make a, a, a new gun for me. And, I think uh, there may well already be one in, if not in Destroy of Worlds, then in the Colonial Marines Operations Manual. So I'll have a look and see what I could dig out. Cool, yes, because Paul did check, because uh, one of our patrons, Paul, is putting all this stuff on, uh, not all this stuff, but all all the um, uh, the, free the official Free League stuff, stuff yeah. onto a virtual tabletop for them. And so he's he's got it all. And he, while we were playing, came back and said, no, there aren't any pistols from the UPP. Um, but you know, we'll we'll solve that. We'll solve that in time. Yeah. Cool. So um, yeah, if you're interested, come and watch. The next show will be on February the twenty eighth at eight thirty GMT. Um, and obviously after that, it'll be on YouTube uh, for you to to watch at your leisure. Cool. Excellent. Well, let's move on because we are forty minutes in nearly, and we haven't got forty past the world in. gaming. And, oh. and yeah, so we've talked a little bit about our 150th episode. Perhaps we should keep the rest of this discussion a bit short. But um, just uh -huh. uh, let's reflect on 150 episodes, which is a bit of a number plucked out of the air. I, I'll tell you for why. Huh. Uh, uh, a couple of years ago, we did uh, an episode a day for RPG a day in August of... This we did that twice, 2018. didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Well, the first time we did it, those counted as whole episodes. Ah. The second time we did it, I was with a different um, hosting service and I had the option with there to make those bonus episodes because they're only about five minutes long. So about a 30 of our 
150 episodes that we've hitched this time are actually quite ah. short episodes from that first time of doing RPG a day. But that uh, was an episode a day. So if you add them all up... But that up, was an episode a day, equals, yes. Yeah. And arguably, actually, we've done 180 episodes already if we count the other lot that are actually yeah. counted as bonus episodes, so don't get a number. Sorry to be confusing about this, but... So, so, so what you're saying is that, frankly, we can fiddle the stats to have this episode Anywhere number, we want. any number we want. <laughs> So but it's when we moved 321. Year, we moved to stop doing uh, seasons of, of this show because yeah. we were getting confused about the numbers there. And we <laughs> yeah. moved to a new um, uh, uh, new host yet again. I'm always trying to find the best host. We're currently with Transistor. You're doing a good job now, guys, at Transistor. But, you know, am I going to move again next month? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um <laughs> Anyway, uh, we moved then, and there was a numbering system that was quite simple on uh, transistors. So we stuck with those numbers, and we're at 150 now on those numbers. Whatever yeah. the history has been, 150 is where we are. But that's yeah. still a long time. That's a lot of stuff. More it's... than we, we started on the 8th of May, 2017. 2017. It's nearly four years we've been going on. And nearly it's, four years. It, it, it's very interesting to kind of reflect back on on kind of us then and us now uh in that then i think i was still going through the the angst of not having enough role playing in my life either <laughs> as either as gaming or gming or just you know, having a, a you know a a real reason to be involved in in one way or another yeah um, we were getting together maybe four or five times a year to play a game yeah, weren't we yeah and then well, I, I, did you have your local group happening at that time? Yes, we did have a local group happening, but that was that was that was great. I loved it, but it was always quite stressful on those particular days because I'd be at work, I'd get back, I'd, you know, it would be just it's quite hard work, but I, I love doing it. Um, but it still didn't feel like enough. I still needed that itch to be scratched as it were and then obviously you came up with the, the suggestion to do the podcast which you know i think you know our first impressions were well you know someone might listen to the first episode but we're probably not going to be going for very long actually <laughs> and then obviously it took off um, yeah but i guess looking back at me then to me now and I kind of you know you know what it's like when you're when you're actually in the moment you kind of forget what it used to be like so kind of yes. my life, my life now is normal to me. This is my normal life, but I'm now spending pretty much every waking hour thinking about working on talking about playing one game or another when I'm not supposed to be actually at my real job working, um, doing that or walking the dog or spending time with my wife or, you know, all the usual stuff. You mean you don't think about gaming when you're walking the dog? Because I don't have a dog, but when I'm out for a walk, I'm thinking about gaming. Well, I, I do, but walking the dog is actually quite hard work because she's a bit of a handful. So <laughs> it's a walking the dog isn't the relaxing walk I used to have before I used to walk the dog. Let's put it that way. Uh, but she's right. lovely. I wouldn't swap her for anything. But um, so I think you know my life has changed so much from that guy then who was just a fan who who enjoyed playing to somebody you know like you, Matt, who now has got a published credit under his belt, has got more work coming in. Might even have a realistic opportunity of of turning this into something where I could give up my day job one day. You know, I've, I've often talked about that trajectory, my my fantasy trajectory of you know in my mind back when we first started was, 
starting the podcast great you know getting some listeners great uh you know making friends and getting to know the guys at free league a little bit great you know actually maybe getting involved in helping them actually <laughs> writing something writing something for somebody else maybe or getting involved and basically i, I remember right- you saying that you're kind of yeah yeah we could do the podcast and then we can interview the guys at free league and we can be their mates and then and then we we can we can do work for them as i was going Oh dear, poor innocent fellow. None of this is going to happen. <laughs> I wasn't saying it to you, but in my head I was going, no, we're going to do a podcast and maybe the podcast will fail. And that's that's going to be the narrative of our story. Yeah, but probably, actually yeah. all your wishes have come true. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I've been so lucky that on that fantasy, and it was, you know, I, I called it a fantasy trajectory because I, I expected it to be totally fantasy. But each time suddenly I think, well, I'm... I'm on that trajectory. You know, this is brilliant for me. And, uh, you know, I, I have to just, again, you know, we do a lot of thanking people on this show. But genuinely, if it hadn't been for the listeners to the show, if it hadn't been for our supporters, if it hadn't been for the guys at Free League and all the other people in the industry that we've talked to and met and, you know, have supported us, none of this would have happened. And, you know, it is, it, it is like a dream coming true. There are times in the day where I think, I've got 10 hours to do to work to do and I've got three hours to do them where it doesn't necessarily feel dreamlike, but that's great. It's a brilliant problem to have. I'm super lucky to be in that position. So uh, yes. that's my big reflection on our last four years. It's not only been a brilliant, fabulous, wonderful, fun ride. It's helping my dreams come true. You know, well, that's not going a bit far, you know. I'm thank start, you, listeners, I'm for start crying in a dreams minute. come true. <laughs> but it is true. It is true. Um... And my life has changed too. You know, I, I, I um, back then wasn't working five days a week because I was doing a PhD, um, but I was working three days a week. And and now I'm spending almost all my time thinking about gaming because I've been made redundant. So uh, <laughs> uh, not not because I've got jobs with uh, with Free League, but um, but I have got a credit. And and let's just actually think about where Free League have come in that time because yes. back then. Oh yeah. That time at your wedding when you were um, telling me I should kickstart this game called Coriolis that, you know, was the second game from a company that you'd picked up uh, yeah. Mutant Year Zero from in a shop and given yourself as a present. Uh, nobody knew who Free League was back then. No. And I don't think we can claim all the credit for spreading the word of the Free League, but they're now kind of getting to be one of the most famous games companies out there. Yeah, <laughs> and part of that is a little bit to us, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's. I think that's. I don't think we're claiming too much credit because we were the first English-speaking podcast to talk about free league games and Coriolis. We were out there banging the drum for them, um, not out of any, you know, not because for any nefarious reason, but because we just love their games and love what. Yeah, we we weren't paid chills, and we're still not no. paid chills. No, free league. When are we going to get to be paid chills? That's what I want to do. <laughs> well, I, I guess, I guess you know, seeing I, I'm working on some of their stuff, I guess you could argue that I'm no longer entirely, uh, you know, partisan on, on, on their stuff. So you need to maybe take what I say with a pinch of salt, because obviously uh, yeah, I'm not paid to say nice things about them, but I do work with them. And I'm not paid at all, so I won't say nice things about them if they ever produce something that's shit. But as we can see from the Kickstarter for for The One Ring, uh, you know, it's lovely. It's not even a system I I know or one that we can even promise we're going to play. But by God, it's gorgeous. So uh, (laughs) 
So sadly, I keep shilling for them, even though I'm not paid. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah, but so yeah I, it is gorgeous. It, it is, is gorgeous. I'm just and, noticing some comments on our um, Patreon exclusive Discord. People falling for it and uh, oh, nice. uh, saying that they're having to to, to back it. So um, so it's happening even as we speak. More backers yeah. coming in. Oh, Shall we move on, though? I guess yeah, because uh, we spent too long shilling yeah. a free league. Um, <laughs> it's our job after all we thought though it was an important moment 150 episodes to celebrate in some way and to celebrate with all of you our listeners so we thought we would run a competition now this yes. is going to be a very casual competition um uh, i can't say the prizes are going to be splendid i think uh we uh, you and i are going to buy a I don't know whether it should be $50 or £50, or which is better. Uh, anyway, we, we are going to have, as the top prize in this competition, a, a voucher for drive through RPG. Um, and we're going to give that to the person that writes the best adventure for any free league game, all the Year Zero games, or uh, Simbaroom, or I guess any of the other free league games that's published in English. I yeah. think we might have to make that point because. Yeah. Um, well, if it, if it's if if the if the entries come in in Swedish, then my wife might be able to read it, but we couldn't guarantee to. Um, <laughs> yeah. So English, please. Yeah, um, and although you know, I'd love to see a game of um, uh, an adventure for um, um, Swavel Winter or um, October. What's the game with the October? Anyway, um, you know, hit, you the game has to be published in English. And the adventure has to be uh, written in English. And it can be no more than two sides of a piece of paper. And for the sake of internationalism, I will specify two sides of a sheet of US letter paper. And I reckon that holds about 1,500 words. So that is your word count limit. And um, we will uh, select a winner. Um, you, everybody, if you send a game into us, uh, you still own the game. You own all those rights. We're not, we're not going to steal your work and publish it and call it our own or anything like that. It's mm. your thing. We're not even going to publish it. If you want to publish it and you want to put it on the, the Free League Workshop, well, we've got a little bit of experience with that, so we can try and help you do that. But that's that's not the prize. The prize is simply uh, the voucher that we win for the t top prize. And I guess maybe... And this would be a good thing to do. Maybe we should have a one-shot actual play of the winning adventure as well. I think I was going to suggest that. I think that should absolutely be part of the part of the prize package. Yeah. Um, so is that it? Have I forgotten anything? Where do people send their entries? Oh, good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, <laughs> and I think, given that this is a document, the best way to send your entry is to send it to our email address which is feedback at effectpodcast.org remember effect, it's a course, k, with a k instead of a c in effect yes cool well get writing um the uh, yeah the, the other thing is what's the deadline we did work out a deadline you know and i didn't write it down on my notes here can you remember what it was did we did we say a month because there is something we're we're um uh we, we are we're going to talk about a bit later but shall we say a month from? Uh, from... Shall we say a month from tomorrow, which would be the 13th? Of shall March. we say Monday the 15th of March? That sounds good. 
Monday, the and 15th then that of March, give us guys. time to have a look at what's sent in and make our decision uh, probably for our episode on the in 9th six, of April. In six weeks, yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, I hope, I hope people are keen. Um, chuck your ideas in. We can't wait to um, can't wait to see them and give away the prize. Excellent. Right. Yeah. Now we've got some. Uh, or what have we got? Have we got? Uh, we will have some advice on writing that adventure from Alex Aguilla, who has indeed written a competition-winning fifteen-hundred-word adventure. So quite similar set of rules. Absolutely. But that's a bit later on. First of all, though, I'm going to finish, finally, the discussion of Coriolis segments that we started way back in the early days when we used to be called the Coriolis Effect <laughs> with the Syndicate. We last talked about the Syndicate back in episode 18. Wow. Over three years ago. Back then, we were experimenting with the format and that piece was a discussion rather than an essay but we never consolidated our thoughts into a written piece. So, here it is. Dave prompted the discussion by asking, The Syndicate, are they all bad? And I answered, yes. Yes, they are. They are bad in two ways. Obviously, the first is that they are criminals. They do bad things. Now, you might argue it's not a bad thing if there is something you want or need and there are asinine laws preventing you from getting hold of it legally. Look at prohibition in America, for example. Many people enjoy a drink, and while drinking to excess can be dangerous to one's health and irresponsible drinking might cause social disorder, a lot of people who were in other ways perfectly law-abiding felt it reasonable to acquire booze from criminal bootleggers. But the second way in which the syndicate is bad is, in a rare misstep from the creators, it is a badly written faction. Let me present as evidence the story of the syndicate as presented in the core book, which tells us that the faction is made up of a group of wealthy families from the crew of the Zenith who joined forces with first-come criminal groups on Algol, Sadal and Zalos. When the core book tells of the consortium families and the hegemonic families, it lists them and names them, yet the write-up for the syndicate lists only the Berbazils, whom we meet in Mercy of the Icons in Bay Basin on Kua. So, who are the other wealthy Zenithian families. The core book goes on. They cooperate with the Guard to combat petty crime because it disturbs their more lucrative forms of business. Protection rackets, gambling, pimping, drugs and smuggling. The first item in that list, protection rackets, I quite like, especially because it sort of fits with Dave's concept of crossroads colleges. But the other things on that list I have issues with especially when reading in the next column, the only areas the syndicate stays away from are slave trading and the smuggling of faction tech. Well, this is a nice distinction. We know from our own modern world that slavery exists in many forms, not just the slave trade of 200 years ago, but debt bondage, 
indenture and sex trafficking. Pimping is not that far removed from slavery, actually, and we see the Berbacils directly involved with actual slavery in Bay Basin. They might say they leave the slavery to the Algolans, but two parts of the syndicate are Angolan after all. I don't buy it. And I don't buy that the syndicate is the largest criminal organisation in the horizon. Not when only one column before that bold statement, the authors admit that the basis of the syndicate is the gangs that run the different plazas on Coriolis. Let's get this one straight. My overriding point is the syndicate is not a faction. It does not have a seat on the Coriolis Council, neither does it have a fleet, even if these rumoured black ships are real, and I have a theory about that. It does have one Zenithian crime family, two more from Algol, and another couple from Sadal and Zalos, dividing up the rackets in various parts of Coriolis Station itself. Yes, their influence extends as far as Kua, miles below the station, and maybe with family connections in the systems of Sadal, Zalos and Algol, they might have some little influence there. But with the slow communication available through the portals, the influence cannot be effective direct control, and those parts of the syndicate families in those systems will not automatically obey the word of distant Zenithians two or three jumps away. The syndicate may be a moderately successful extended crime family, but only one of dozens, hundreds or even thousands of criminal organisations that, importantly, compete with each other rather than with the other factions of the Third Horizon. So, how can we reconcile the fact that the core book gives them such prominence? First of all, we should realise that the core book can be an unreliable narrator. Its representation of the syndicate may well be written by the Berbacils themselves, always eager to sound more powerful than they are. Such exaggeration is helped by the bulletin, which claims to be a horizon-wide news network, but definitely has a Coriolis-centred bias. When it reports upon the thugs and gangs of Coriolis Station as the syndicate, while ignoring the criminals in other parts of the horizon, it's easy to think that they're all part of the same thing. And as Dave said, when we discussed it before, local gangs in other parts of the horizon might be using the syndicate's name to burnish their own reputation. And the other thing that really is growing their influence is Havela, the idea we discussed back in episode 143 in September. The consortium do have banks, yes, but for doing trade across the horizon, they have to rely on the Havela network, and the Haveladars that they have been pumping money into these last six decades are mostly syndicate ones on Coriolis. So, the consortium are reliant on the syndicate to enable business transactions, and the syndicate's influence has grown, is growing, not so much through their criminal activities, but through what many first come consider a more legitimate practice. What does all this mean for players and the GMs? First of all, GMs should big up some of the other criminal organisations, like the Serpent, you have a base on Coriolis after all, the Farrakhan, 
and the Okladama. If your crew are petty criminals themselves, have their patrons be one of these or an organisation that you have made up so they don't start with the impression that the syndicate is a horizon-spanning mega-gang. Maybe introduce the syndicate as upstart rivals, especially if your crew are mostly first-come. And if you do, focus on the syndicate's Zenithian component, the Berbersils. Perhaps even introduce them as the Berbersil crime family. On Coriolis Station itself, begin by focusing on the rivalries between the syndicate gangs. Have the Raffers teaming up with the Afiana family against the Adibols or the Intisars, and only when the player characters are deeply involved in the turf war have the Berbersils step in to negotiate and, if necessary, enforce the peace. In short, remember that criminals keep to the shadows and keep the syndicate shadowy, amorphous, as long as you can. Don't let the players assume that they are all-powerful. Indeed, let them assume that they might be beaten. And then have the syndicate's power and influence grow with that of the players, but always one step ahead. So well done, Matthew, for finally drawing a line under all the factions. Um, and yeah, and an excellent essay. I, I love the idea that the, you know, the, the, the syndicate isn't as big as they make themselves out to be and that there are uh, you know, groups of criminals around the horizon who use their name because actually the name carries a lot more weight there than actually the syndicate's kind of threat or power does. I, I well, of course weird. you'd love that idea because it was your idea, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of the essays shit, but the bits where I draw my idea. What's the <laughs> the shit that I... start with Dave said, they're good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but and I like that idea and I think that's really good. Uh, the other thing that I'm uh, interested in, I, the, but the, you don't really talk about it. We don't know anything about it. It's the, um, you know, the their, their fleet, the black ships. So what... What, you know, what's that all about, I guess, is my question. Well, this may be a little spoilery for people working through the Mercy of the Icons campaign, but do I, I have need, a theory about the Do I need to go la 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 ships. here then? Do I need to be quiet? Do I need to not, not listen to this bit? No, no, you can listen because I think you have already done this. So the ah, black ships, okay. there right. are rumours ah. of ships that are really difficult to see and then seem to disappear. Ah... Yes. And you have encountered some ships that are really difficult to see and indeed I seem have. to disappear yes. or appear out of nowhere. So I'm just wondering whether those rumoured ships are anything to do with the Syndicate whatsoever. Mm. Well, my, uh, my limited understanding, and again, no spoilers, is that the ships that we've come across aren't anything to do with the Syndicate. You would be right. Yeah. So and they are some, also unusually then, shaped. Is this something then that the syndicate has stolen, maybe? No, no, no. I don't think they're anything to do with the syndicate. I think people are people are seeing unusual shapes flitting around. And well, I the, think these assuming... ships that you have now encountered are not necessarily only... You have not encountered the first of these ships that have been flitting around the horizon. They may have been flitting around for some time. People are ascribing them to the syndicate. Right. But as you know, they are not necessarily 
syndicate mm. ships. Okay, so actually, where it mentions the black ships, the syndicate doesn't doesn't actually have them. The syndicate doesn't, doesn't have them. Have no. This is, remember, a group of families that have just about got control of four parts of the ship. They've got no uh, of the Coriolis, Coriolis station. Yeah. They don't have shipbuilding capabilities. I, they're not that big, or not yet, no. at least. They presumably would have the money to commission ships. They Well, yeah. Now, see, this is, this is my thing. I, I argue that maybe that part of what is making them grow into potentially a... Um, horizon spanning uh, organization is because they are effectively the only way in for the consortium into the Havala system, which is actually yeah, what you need to do yeah. to get business done. They are, you know, they're being uh, pumped full of money at the moment. So potentially they could be investing that in ship production, but I don't think they are. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. The, in your essay where you're talking about, you know, the syndicate is involved with all your standard organized crime stuff, you know, like drugs and pimping and uh, or, um, protection rackets, that kind of thing. That really, that really makes them feel pr provincial rather than mm. sort of yeah. world spanning. Because, yeah, everything, you know, you know, they are described as the largest organization in the horizon. But then every when you look at what they actually do, it's... It's tiny. I mean, even the Havala thing, that's a thing that you and I have made up. Yeah. Not, that's not anywhere in the book. What what the book describes, and, you know, it's interesting that, uh, as I say, first edition talked a lot about proxy. And it yes. may be that the syndicate, yeah. you know, have got the proxy license, or not license, um, uh, what do I mean? The, the uh, tech. They've got access the, to the tech. You know, they've got that proxy tech, and that may yeah. be a thing. But... But it doesn't actually make a big thing of that in this edition, in the English edition that we've got. Um, no. So I don't think, you know, they're particularly technically adept or anything. Hmm. It's and the ships actually. that you've seen in the campaign are unusually shaped. Yeah. And it yeah. specifically mentions that the black ships are unusual shapes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, so I, that's I, my theory. I, I, I like the idea that actually the syndicate is is nothing more than a name mm. and, pe and people are frightened of it because of what they think it means rather than what it actually is yes maybe yeah and you know i think the uh the bulletin helps that because the bulletin are so coriolis station focused even though they are trying to be a horizon spanning news yeah program. yeah so if they yeah. keep mentioning syndicate then people will start subscribing the syndicate name to their local gangs. Yes. Who absolutely. might have nothing to do with the syndicate at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Really good. That's, I like that essay very much, Matt. So, I mean, now that we've finished all the factions, what the hell are we going to talk about in the next episodes? Well, you know, there are potentially... Well, what we're going to talk about in the next episode, we'll come to at the end of this episode. <laughs> there are potentially some new things forming out of Mercy of the Icons that may well be worth talking about. You don't know yeah. what they are, though, because you're no. playing Burst of the Icons. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Cool. So we, we I, you know, Coriolis is uh, at least my first love. You you might have been swayed by Alien. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to carry on writing about Coriolis, the cows come home. What I feel um, that we as a podcast should do is maybe be a bit more even-handed with some of the games that we don't write about 
enough, like um, yeah. Tales from the Loop. Uh, we did, and other we did ones. start doing that with our little segments of why should you, you should play, play. Dot, yes. dot, dot. Um, but then that kind of we've kind of fell out doing that with because other things got in the way. But we could easily uh, resurrect that kind of thing once in a while. And you're absolutely right. I think we need to give more effect love to the wider portfolio of free league games, not just yes. Alien well, and Coriolis and Forbidden Lands. Yeah, we're not even doing much Forbidden Lands stuff at the moment. No, though, that's well, very so, true. So you know we should be doing some more of that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, let's let's crack on with. Um, with our interview, which is going to be alien-focused, admittedly, uh, to begin with, but with Alex wow. Aguila, who will then be explaining why we may even need to spread our wings even further, further. to cover the Year Zero gaming community. So here we are in the Hammam again, and we have another very exciting guest with us today who has a storied and stellar history even before he appeared on the board and tabletop gaming scene. So a very, very warm welcome to Alex Aguila, the CEO, co-founder of Firelock Games and the winner of the first Facebook Alien Scenario competition. Alex, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, pretty exciting to be invited. I, I love the show. Excellent. Thank That's you. really good to hear, Alex. Um, <laughs> uh, we So... <laughs> We have this slot, uh, which we call players. You see, see what Matt does. I, I, and... I start, and then Matt just takes over. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, that's like, the way we do it. Like, that's you know. the way we anyway, do it. Go on, then. Go on, then. I go let on. you start. Now it's my turn. He's just a limelight have... whore. That's what he is. Go on. <laughs> we, we, we have this slot called players in Hamam, and you are definitely a, an alien player, but you are also a creator. So um, we've got... Lots of questions to ask you about that, but we always start off with the very first one. Can you tell us, please, about your life in gaming? Sure, sure, sure. So in, in RPGs and, and tabletop in particular, um, I was about 13 years old and I had just finished cutting some lawns and, and I had some money in my pocket. And I asked my mom to, uh, to take me to a, a local toy store called Playworld. And my buddy Nelson, who, who you hear about later on when I, when I discuss <laughs> certain things about gaming, uh, he decided to come along and we we're staring at all these games and we we're like, hey, we're going to play a game this afternoon. This is going to be pretty fun. And one that caught my eye was Avalon Hills Third Reich, which is pretty heavy for a 13 year old. Yeah. You know, but I kind of liked World War II and I looked at it and go, yeah, this will be great for this afternoon. And then I, another game caught my eye, which was it was a dragon and a treasure. And it said Dungeons and Dragons. And that, that seemed pretty interesting. So I, I picked up both boxes, went home, and, and Nelson was going to come over later on. And I picked up Third Reich and I looked through the rule book and I said, you know what? We're not going to be playing Third Reich today, I don't think. <laughs> and I kind of put that, it was a very complicated game. I put that away. We, we ended up playing it years later, but, but it, was, it was too much for then. And I remember reading the rules uh, to that first edition Dungeons and Dragons and I, I, I couldn't understand it. I mean, it, there's no map, there's no figures, what's going on, what, what's happening. And, and, you know, the, and the time's coming near where, where Nelson's about to get here. And I go, wow, we're not going to play anything. And I finally saw I finally saw the example in the back of, of the book where the dungeon master was explaining what the players were seeing. And I said, wow, it's a game of imagination. Hmm. So and, and he came over and, uh, you know, I told him, hey, this is what we're going to try. And it was just a wonderful afternoon of playing my first role playing game. And, and shortly thereafter, we got other neighborhood kids involved and we had a steady group. And we played for years. And, hmm. and even, even when we get together nowadays, 40 years later, 
Uh, we speak about our characters like Rigel Bloodstone and Falcon Dingo <laughs> and Stenson and Azric the Great and Richard Stormbringer and the Achilles brothers and all this great stuff, like if they were real people. I mean, that's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a pretty profound gaming experience that 40 years later, you can discuss those adventures and those times <laughs> with your friends. So yeah, we became, we became really hardcore RPG players. We also played a lot of video games in that era. And uh, we, we did all the TSR stuff. We did Gamma World, we loved. And yeah. we did Boot Hill. We did a lot of Wild West role-playing, <laughs> which was fantastic. And uh, we kind of, uh, we did Marvel superheroes. That was big for, for many years. And after that era, that was about the 90s, I kind of, you know, started working more in, in the technology in technology and video games. You know, that was the early PC game era. Yeah. And uh, started playing some PC games. And my buddy Nelson, who was the first RPGer that I played with, he was making computers for the group. And uh, he was building all these computers and, and he said, hey, do you think anybody else wants to, to buy these turnkey solutions? It was, it was kind of like the do-it-yourself era. It yeah. was the Wild West, for lack of a better phrase, of, of the computer. <laughs> when you can do really interesting things with a computer that the big box manufacturers weren't doing. Unbeknownst to me, he had asked that question to like 10 other people that, have, that kind of told him no. <laughs> or, or said, it wasn't going to work. Well, yeah, I didn't realize I was like the number 11th. Yeah, 11th on his list. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. He's going right down that list. He's almost out of names. And, and I, I kind of told him, you know, I think this is a great idea. And his next response to me was, well, great, quit your job and let's get <laughs> going to business together. I had been, I had a very steady job. It was kind of boring. I worked in the medical field for 13 years at the time. And I had to convince my wife that we we're going to take our life savings and, and start building PCs out of a garage. <laughs> and that grew into Alienware. Alienware yeah, computers. Wow. wow. Our first two people. And, and uh, you know, if anybody's familiar with the story, it, it ultimately became a global company with, with manufacturing facilities in many different countries. And it, it became, it was a crazy wild ride. And this was that really was, the first sort of specialist gaming PC, if I remember rightly. Yeah, it was, there was other, other computer, manu there was one other computer manufacturer that was doing something similar. There were kind of our competition, but it, we were the most known at that time. Mm, and yeah. a, a bad part of that was that I had to get away from RPGs. I didn't have the time to devote no. to you know the rpg campaigns and the fun stuff we were doing it was kind of time to get to business hmm. and that was a, a, a great 10 years and this almost takes me to the present at that point we we sold the company to michael dell which is <laughs> that could be a podcast in itself that was that was an insane <clears throat> insane experience actually mm. uh and i kind of i was kind of burned out then I, I was getting back into gaming i was doing a lot of tabletop stuff i was doing 40k I was playing in mm. tournaments and, and trying, you know, playing battle tech and things like that, but I hadn't gotten back to the RPGs. And then slowly, uh, you know, I started getting into the RPGs again, started gaming and I met this, you know, Mike Tunias, which is my current partner at Firelock. He, it, it was interesting. We met over a battle tech game <laughs> and he was talking about the TV series, Black Sails. Yeah. And I remember mm. telling him, Hey, you know, I looked for a pirate tabletop game and I really couldn't find anything in the market. I mean, there's nothing out there. And he yeah. goes, funny, you should mention that because I created a game. And now if I had a dollar every time somebody tells me that, you know, <laughs> I've, I've heard it so many times, but I, I did have time the next day and I sat down and I played this incredible pirate universe that Mike was creating. I, I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. <laughs> and I kind of told him what Nelson told me, if you quit your job, which I think he was doing Chinese deli food delivery at the time. If you quit mm -hmm. your job and you join me, let's let's start a company. And that was the birth of Firelock. And I guess the rest is history at that point. Mm. Yeah. Now you mm -hmm. sent us very kindly uh, a copy of 
Blood and Plunder, which is that mm. game, right? Yeah, Blood and yeah. Plunder is our signature game. It's the one that that we're most famous for. And it's and it, it's it, it's gorgeous. I mean, you, you sent us the collector's edition, which is uh, thank you, even more yeah, gorgeous. You're generous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what I love about it is you start off because I've um, uh, I work for a heritage organisation in in until Tuesday actually, um, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, and I used to work for another one, and in that other one, we they wanted to do a big thing on pirates. So I spent a lot of time researching pirates. Oh, that's and, fantastic! Oh, God, mm -hmm. you've got this first chapter is all the history in a really approachable mm. way of the, if you like, the archetypal age of piracy up until the destruction of um, Port Royal, which you rightly point out mm. isn't, as is often said, the end of the age of piracy, but right. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's already going so, there. They're already moving Madagascar, but that's a great. I'm, I, I, I love this. You know, I, I, I'm not much of a miniatures player, but I do have a, a friend and neighbour who is very keen on blood and plunder, and has got a number of figures. Can't afford a ship yet, but he's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's really into this. Um, and it looks lovely. It's just. Beautifully mm. illustrated. I love the way you've rough cut the paper on this special edition as well. So it looks like some old Bible from... Uh, right, from, that was the yeah. effect we wanted. Old journal, right. yeah. Right. Uh, sorry, I'm just raving over that. Um, <laughs> but but from Blood and Plunder, you've done other stuff as well, because you, um, uh, you sent us a, a family game, Scurvy Dice, which uh, I've just played and really enjoyed, or yesterday I played. And... You've got a, a First World War blood miniatures and, game. Blood and Valor, yeah. Right, Blood and Valor. For, and we have yeah. Oak and Iron, which is a 1-600 scale naval historical game. And, mm. and you mentioned, you mentioned uh, the history part of it, but we kind of got some of that right. And the reason for that is Benerson Little. He's, mm, he's our yeah. pirate consultant. He's one of the best authors in the world of pirate histories. He's a consultant for the History Channel. He was a consultant mm. for Black Sails. And we are really, really blessed that we have him on board. And you've never quite seen passion until you see mike and him mm. discussing thumb placement on a sword at three in the morning <laughs> going back and forth blowing up blowing up my messages i mean it's it's that intense of a passion so yeah uh it's it's great that we were able to base that game on an actual historical you know with a pre historical premise it doesn't have to be fantasy mm. to be exciting that's brilliant no. and as a uh, fencer and Absolutely. a historical sword fighter uh, uh not for some time now but in my youth, I know all about that thumb placement debate as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, so your your shtick, as it were, is authentic uh, history games. Um, I've actually, Dave, can I ask Tom's question now? Yes, go ahead, Matthew. Go on. Okay, so as I say, I've got I've, I've got a neighbour and a friend who's a fan of yours, and he sent a question which is a little bit deep here, but I, I promised, I said we were talking to you and I promised I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd ask him this question. So uh, he points out that Oak and Iron is actually quite new. It came out last year in um, 2020 uh, during the early days of the lockdown here in this country. And he said, you put together a tabletop simulator pack for that. Have you considered expanding it into a paid downloadable content or a standalone game or even a real-time strategy game 
We have contemplated that. Um, I think what we're stuck with a little bit is a matter of resources and in, in our ability to execute on, on some of our digital plans. But definitely, definitely, we have contemplated that. And I'd love to hear some of his ideas if he's got them um, offline. He can, he can contact me directly. Uh, we're always looking for that type of feedback. So that, okay, cool. sounds, like something, that sounds like something that, that's very interesting and something that we've actually talked about. So I'll let him in on, on exactly what we're doing. Oh, well, it, and he's let me in on something else you're doing as well, um, which is uh, he's told me that he's sent you a load of feedback already on under a black flag. Yes, super exciting, super exciting game. Super Tell exciting us more game. about this. Well, so black flag is going to be set in the the world of blood and plunder, which is was the real historical world of pirates, and it's going to be an RPG that's based on the Year Zero engine. So that has us a little bit excited. Mm. Um, and it's it's really undergone um, quite a revamp in the last few months. So I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, what was the time frame of when he sent the feedback or when he saw it and how much he knows about what we're doing. But, you know, you give me his name and I'd love to, to it, plug him uh, in. So that, that's Tom. Mm. I'll, 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 I'll give you his full name outside this. Um, that's fantastic. The feedback, but I must say, this was in the summer and mm. it was not year zero then from what he was explaining no, it, it wasn't. And I'll tell you how that came about in the decision that they came that I started playing Alien and got introduced to Free League, um, uh, you know, right when it came out, I was part of the Kickstarter and, and whatnot. And I had one of our DMs in our group. He has every Free League game and he, he was uh, GMing Tales from the Loop at the time. So I got familiarized with the engine. I really love the way that you're able to tell a story with it. Uh, it, it just seemed so exciting. One of the things that really, really sold me on it is during lockdown, my wife is not a gamer. She has never been a gamer. Outside of Ms. Pac-Man or Galaga on an arcade machine, she doesn't game. And she wanted to spend some time together doing something different. And I suggested, hey, let's just do an alien RPG. And she was like oh, a little skeptical. The fact that she was able to pick up the game, play it as a first-time role player, have such an exciting experience, and then start discussing rules in the middle of the week blew me away. I was like, wow. <laughs> this is it. And then my, uh, my son, who's a really hardcore RPGer, had was just had equal enjoyment so we're talking about an engine that really spans the gamut between a first-time player and somebody that's played a lot mm. what was happening was we're, we're developing two rpgs at the time that are historical one is called a uh, war stories it's a world war ii rpg that's going to follow the 101st airborne division <laughs> across your campaign normally and, and there's going to be a british unit also um yet to be determined okay. we're working on that with our historian and and the part and, and the part they had two completely different engines, but the, the core was there. All, all the all the core was there. And my suggestion was I think we would have more synergy as a company if we chose one engine. So I, I kind of pitched the idea to the two designers that were working on it. And they, they agreed. They thought it was a good idea. That's why I'm interested in maybe Tom getting a look again at what we've done because it's I think it's really exciting. I think we have we've added enough flavor and enough difference. Uh, to, to make it stand out uh, within the Year Zero family. Uh, so we're really excited about it. That, yeah, it sounds That's sounds really brilliant. cool. Yeah. So you were producing a pirate game. You're now producing two historical games, and both of them using the Year Zero engine. Right. That's amazing. That's really good. <laughs> that's gonna be, it's going to be neat. It's, you're going to see the same quality that you see in the book that I sent you. Um, yeah, you're yeah, going to see I, that same I'm, quality and attention to detail. That's what we're going to produce. I'm really excited I'm about super, that. We have two great teams working on the games, and 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 our artist, 
Uh, P Peter Ian Hosfeld is fantastic, as you can see. He's going to be doing the artwork for both games. So we're super excited about that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned by that news. <laughs> and it's really, you know, it now fits. Uh, uh, our excuse for getting you on here, we can come to in a moment. But uh, It kind of worked out, huh? <laughs> it kind of really worked out, yeah. Good timing. Anyone would have thought we planned it that way. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't. We honestly didn't, though. No, no, I, no, no. All I knew was Alex had made, I had no idea that he was in Alienware. I had no idea um, he'd <laughs> no, just made no. an alien adventure that you'd run on, on Victory Condition Gaming, Dave. And I right, thought, right. But, but, but this, is, this is just so spectacular. <laughs> so maybe we should get back to that one. You made yeah. uh, this, this game, uh, this adventure for Alien and won a competition with it. Um, Dave, do you want to take over, actually? Because I, I know nothing about it. <laughs> Uh, but you like you liked running it, didn't you, Dave? Oh, I loved running it. So yeah, this is this is Outpost Two Four Seven, and um, I think the, the, the kind of the key thing was um, you know the competition rules meant that you only had fifteen hundred words uh, to play with right. in the actual body of the text. Um, and producing a scenario that had such a lot in it, and actually three agendas that we could run through in four hours, which I was quite skeptical about initially. Um, it was, was brilliant. So um, what, do you want to tell us a bit about where the idea came from, uh, Alex, and uh, yeah, sure. the process of, of, of kind of distilling it down, actually, into such, into such a small number of words? Sure, sure, absolutely. So one of the things that the contest did do, I've, I've written adventures before because I've GM'd a lot in the other systems and, and whatnot, but I, I'm so taken by Alien. I love the game so much um, that actually my first inspiration was seeing you do Alenia Bay, which kind of comes full circle now in this interview. And I thought, okay. wow, that, that is so neat. You can do something like that, you know, and just uh, create an adventure like that. It's almost, it was almost like a movie. So it really got me thinking, I really want to write something down. And everybody has a different process um, when, they, mm -hmm. when they write stuff. Mine happens to be, and, and this, this is what I've done with the last few, is I see a picture that catches my eye online. And in this case, it was an ancient looking skeleton inside an astronaut suit that looked pretty new. I mean, it, it just <laughs> seems interesting. It was like an interesting picture. And I thought to myself, how did he get there? And, and that's how the idea, I kind of worked backwards from the cover of, of the adventure. And one of the things that was great about doing the contest was I only had 1500 words to actually write mm. the scenario but you can actually put more information with the characters. So that kind of made me really, really focus on the characters themselves, their motivations for why they were there. Why were they on that trip to that outpost? Who mm -hmm. were they? And I, I kind of got inspired by, by the Wild West stories, you know, the stagecoach stories where strangers yeah. are kind of like thrust into this weird tense scenario. And they're kind of, you know, uh, they're, they're, they don't really know each other and they got to work through all this stuff. And mm. that's, that's kind of where the idea came from. It kind of worked. Like the hateful eight, that uh, yeah. Western. Hateful eight so. is, is a perfect mm. example of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's but, where that idea came from. Yeah. Cool. With a similar kind of outcome at the end as well. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for most players. Which is, yes. which is fine. And I think people expect to, to, to die in it. Um, yeah. So that was brilliant. And having the opportunity to run it, um, and then have you watch it, Alex? wasn't wasn't nerve nerve wracking at all, frankly. Um. <laughs> that, was so, that was so cool. I, I really love seeing the players did such an incredible job with the characters, 
and really bring them to life exactly like I kind of imagined them and putting their own spin on it. That was super, mm. that was a, quite an experience. I've had a lot of really neat gaming experiences in my life. That is right up there with one of the best. It was just so neat seeing that. I think it's also so good that the, like you say, focusing on the characters allowed the players to build on something really interesting. And then you give that to a half decent player or you know, in this case, some really great players and away you go, you know, the sky's the sky's the limit really. Yeah, it was yeah. it was really good. The narrative that 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 was done, and you did some great, interesting add-ons that I, I want to revisit the mo- the uh, the scenario and, and redo the PDF because you had some really exciting, extra stuff that you put in that was really awesome too. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Now it's great to have the opportunity to do it, and it was uh, it was it was brilliant fun. Um, so, not wish you to give any spoilers, but um, that could be found on the Facebook page, can't it? And the resources. Um, location there if somebody wants to yeah the file section and find it yeah yeah if they go to the alien facebook group you mean yeah yeah you can you can that's that's where it exists currently um i'm going to be doing some stuff with vcg uh with with the next one i don't i'm Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how that that'll be distributed but their subscribers are going to kind of get it first and and do it first and i understand that you you might be working on that too which is neat so yeah so did you want to say a little bit about the next one that's coming alex yeah, so this one was really inspired by Alenia Bay because it does take place mm-hmm. in, in an eight, nine miles beneath an alien sea. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's got the premise. I wanted to make something like a dystopian type of uh, setting, Cold War setting. I think the UPP really fit for that. And mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit different of a story. It's not, it's not a air quotes dungeon crawl like Outpost 247 was. This is a, a different part of a story, different motivations. They're all stuck down there. And I, I didn't want to really make it uh, at least the backstory derivative of, of anything. I wanted to try to come up with something that that uh, that was that was new, not always easy to do. I, I guess I hopefully I, I did it, and uh, it was funny because I had I'd written some stuff for it, and I'm talking to my one of my friends Hector, who happens to be a, a brilliant GM himself, hmm. and he tells me, "Have you seen the movie Underwater?" And I, I had not seen the movie Underwater, and I'm you know I'm, I'm writing Dead Sea, which was like unbelievable. <laughs> and I saw it, I was like, wow, okay, yeah. So there's certain things that are going to happen if you're in an adventure underwater, I guess. But but yeah. we'll see how it, it goes out. It should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're running that. So I've been kindly invited to to, to run it again, and I've got I got the scenario today. Thanks, Alex. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that. I hope um, uh, you can make any changes you want, and we'll 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 talk about that. That'd be yeah. that's great. That'll be great. But I think we're looking. So for, for any listeners, um, the date hasn't been exactly settled yet, but I think we're looking at the 20th of February, probably. So it'll be that weekend, almost certainly. So a couple of weeks after the after this show's gone out. Yeah, we're um, doing this interview about a week before the yeah. show comes so it'll be out. A week. So it'll be a week. So next weekend, everybody. Excellent. <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, no, that'd be brilliant. Um. Yeah, so, I mean, one thing that we, we sort of moved on from, but I just thought it'd be really interesting just to get your views on, talking about the historical nature of the games that, that you've been producing and the, and the new games, the, uh, the role-playing games that are coming out. Um, we talked a little bit about kind of the historicity of it and having it gritty and authentic, you know, if not indeed simulated, but more, you know, giving it an authentic feel. Um, how, what, what kind of challenges have you found, both with your 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 miniature game settings but also with the rpgs so far in in kind of making that stick because well, a lot of games certainly people seem to think that the historical setting isn't quite enough and you've got to throw in something 
supernatural, supernatural. or different just to just to draw draw the attention to it i guess in the first place um well this is this is interesting because when, when i started with mike i had the same preconceived notions as a lot of other people about pirates you know hmm. the eye patch the parrot Har. you know that that sort <laughs> of thing and then and then mike quickly corrected me and said listen hmm. it's nothing like that and quite frankly, the real history of it is way more exciting than anything that could be just made up. And yeah. if you just look at something, somebody like Henry Morgan and the life that he, he, he led and his march across Panama, I mean, there's more, there's enough adventure there that you don't need any skeletons or any, any <laughs> witches or vampires or, or zombies yeah. or, or dragons. I mean, just in the real life, the settings, the adventures that they actually partook in and the characters themselves lead to a very, very, very rich history. And mm. one of the challenges there, when you, when you do a game in a historical setting, is you're going, to, you're going to get the player that wants to try it out just because the game looks cool, even though they've always played fantasy. And they're okay with whatever you present as long as it's done coherently in, in a fun way. And you're going to get the person that's actually a historical aficionado. So you kind of make something that's already kind of difficult harder because mm. you're going to have the customer that says, that's not the right tunic or that's not the right uh firearm or that's you know this is the buckle is incorrect the shoes are wrong mm. so we're lucky in the in the pirate game that we had Benerson little which and mike is a historian himself and mike's brother is a history teacher so mm. we had we had a lot of resources there where we we did get it right and and yeah. the most fanatical of fans can look at the ships that we make and the pirates and say okay they, they got it right they understand what happened and mike is a sailor also by the way He's a pretty interesting, pretty interesting person. You might want to interview him one time. He's, he's just a great guy. Cool. And yeah. and uh, he um, now you're coming into the year zero fold. We can interview all your stuff. <laughs> we got some real, real superstars and some very interesting people. Actually, now I'm not saying that because they're my friends, but I mean they really are. And so there is a challenge there to, to get a historically right. So for World War II, we partnered up with Mike Santana. He's a history teacher and he's a world class reenactor. I mean, mm -hmm. if you see some of the pictures that, that he does and he's able to tell us, hey, the boots are wrong yeah. or or, you know, we're doing the cover of, of war stories. And he says, you have a, a 43, 1943 coat with a 42 pair of pants, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> and so that's, you know, you're getting yeah. the look of it right. Yeah. And and I think that's important to be correct. But there's a lot of excitement in real history. Yeah. Um, fantasy is fantastic. I encourage anybody that's listening to this that plays a fantasy game that are wondering if they're going to like it, give it a try. The real characters, the real locations, the real events are fantastic mm. to explore. And I think also sometimes just setting a campaign within the kind of the, the aura of the other events that are happening, you know, the real historical events that are happening yes. at the same time, even if they don't actually directly impact on what's going on, just having that as the context and setting actually brings another whole level to the feel of the game. Absolutely. And, and, and I love, you know, you might even have cameos from famous people, from famous mm. actual historical characters, which is really fun always for <laughs> a GM to play around with. Yeah. So that's also interesting. Now, um, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of the slot. Um, I could talk to you for, for hours, Alex, but um, <laughs> we, did, we did have a, 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 an intention when we first invited you and we've touched on it already. Uh, so Dave said that you wrote um, out this outpost adventure in in fifteen hundred words. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I did. And um, 
I'm, I'm suddenly thinking uh, we're going to launch a competition next week when this episode goes out. And I was I was going to limit it to two sides of a sheet of US letter. But I'm just thinking, well, maybe, you know, given our international audience with some people on A4 and some people on US letter, <laughs> maybe we should do something like 1500 words as well. I'll, I'll work out probably what I think is a reasonable number. I, I speak for all players. When I say please do two thousand, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. please just we'll a little see more. Whether we no. can do two, and then, and then that someone was brutal, and then someone can speak for all people who are you judging them. Do it in five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how many do you expect us to read? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. but but yeah, you, it, Dave mentioned that you managed to get all these agendas in, and and um, I'm already beginning to see just hearing you talk about it, some of the shortcuts that I might take if I were doing something like that. Right. Have you got any advice for those of our listeners who are going to enter our competition and, and submit an adventure? What's your advice? Having done it in 1500 words <laughs> uh, and don't say just write 2000. <laughs> um, don't say don't do it. <laughs> let's imagine it's 1500 words. What advice have you got for them? Well, my, my first advice would be, we're all players. We're all gamers. We've all done this for years, uh, most of us. And let your stories take life. The, there's a lot of players and a lot of gamers that have these stories in their heads, and they just don't take that first step. Take that mm. first step. Start writing. As, yeah. as silly as it sounds, write. That's the main thing you need to do. You need to sit down and start writing that story, and the rest is going to take care of itself. And you'll learn to be more efficient. Practice is going to make perfect. Uh, when I wrote Apos 247, I was nowhere near the 1500, 1500 marks, so it forced me to be more efficient. And, and you get there by rereading it and rereading it and imagining it. Let the story live inside you for a while. You go for a walk, you think about the story. Um, you catch yourself watching TV and your mind drifts, think about the story. Let, let your mind explore that when you're not writing, and it'll start to take shape. And, and look and do things that inspire you to write it. I mean, it's, some people can hear a great piece of music and imagine a setting. And, and another thing, I think the characters, if you're, if you're going to let players roll their own characters, this isn't that much of a big deal. But in these type of scenarios where some of the characters are already pre-made, kind of live in those characters' heads. Try, try, to, try to play the character in your head. Mm. What is going to be the character's motivation? What is he going to be doing? How is he going to be interacting with this other character? Who likes each other? Who doesn't? You know, working out those those details is going to just enrich the story. And mm. don't be af don't be afraid of turning in something maybe that you don't think everybody's going to like. I mean, everybody's got a story, and and if and if you don't win the contest, it, that you're going to learn a lot from it. So I encourage you to to enter it because it's going to be a great learning experience. If I had not won this contest, it would matter nothing. I learned to do maybe a scenario a little bit better because of it. Mm. So that's that's what I would tell. The, the, the prospective writers. Yeah, brilliant advice. I, I remember reading many years ago um, advice from a, a, a young budding writer, I can't remember who it was, uh, about writing novels. And he said, the, uh, the, the art to writing a novel is not finding something better to do. <laughs> <laughs> you have to write. You have, you to, have to write. You have to Just do it. Get it on the page. And get then it on the page. Yeah. That and, often is the biggest hurdle, believe it yeah, or not. That is yeah. the biggest hurdle to actually sit down and do it. Yeah, indeed. Why do you think it's taken me nine years to do my PhD, Dave? <laughs> Why do you think it's taken me my whole life to write two novels and not quite finished either of them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
something better to do is definitely been talking to Alex here. So um, oh, yeah. you made time for that in your busy schedule. Oh, it's, super, it's been <laughs> and, super fun. Uh, and, yes. and thank you, Alex, for making time in your busy schedule. Um, you know, and, and it's uh, now realizing how busy it is and how, yeah, zero engine systems it is. This will, these will probably be the first games that come out under the OGL that aren't just fan produced, that are, you know, all, all lovely, lovely and, and beautiful. Profession, like, professionally produced. Mm. Um, we, uh, we hope so. And, it, and it's, it's pretty exciting for us. Right. I'm, I'm really excited by this as well. And we will yeah. definitely have you or any member of your team back to talk about things as they get closer to, are you going to kickstart these when they, when, when you're ready? You know, that, that conversation is still uh, going back and forth. Um, we could go the pre-order route also. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that when you, when you kickstart it, it, I think it's a great thing because you get to fund the project and that's always wonderful for a game company. But you also get to get a lot of you get a lot of feedback during that process mm, about yeah. what you're doing, and I think that's equally important. You know, some people say, "Oh, companies use Kickstarter as a pre-order system." Um, that really isn't the case for Firelock. When we kickstart something, we really kind of have to kickstart it, uh, especially because we're we're in the world of molds and and, and miniatures and things like that. Um, an RPG is a little bit different; it's printed material, and that could lend itself to a pre-order phase. But are we really going to miss out on all that feedback? And you know all that wonderful kind of eyeballs on the on the project. So that's still being discussed back and forth. Our hope is to get one of these RPGs going in the next three months. We should have real definitive. This is artwork. This is what we're doing. This is what we got planned, and and you'll see it somehow produced in the next year, which is our goal that's right now. Brilliant. That's brilliant. brilliant. Well, if it's any influence at all, Tom says you are really good at running Kickstarters. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's good to know. I, I, no, we, I backed, we've been, as a backer, he is convinced you know how to do it. It's a <laughs> simple. It's a simple premise. The customer is is everything for us, and we really mean that. We have that culture within the company. We had that culture at Alienware before we sold it. The the customer is important. Um, every customer counts. Every piece of feedback counts. Getting back to the customer counts, and I think that that comes through on the Kickstarter and delivering. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, delivering yeah. on the product and executing. And doing things the right way, and if and being honest and transparent, and, and this all seems like it's cliche, but mm -hmm. it, it it matters. I mean, if, if you're going to be late, this is the reason we're late, you know. Yeah. And you know, this is the way it works. Luckily, we've we've pretty much been on time for most of them, and it's been exciting. So, well, thank you very much, Alex. As we've said before, um, we look forward to having you or your colleagues from Firelock Games back into the uh, into the hammam to talk about you know your releases as they come out thanks very much alex for finding the time to come on board um um thanks for doing outpost 247 and dead sea and i can't wait to dig into dead sea and see where we take it should be brilliant super excited guys thank you so much for having me it was a lot of fun well that blew me away i have to say uh -huh. you know uh, i suggested to you that we get alex on because he had made this scenario and we were going to do the competition yeah. And then, uh, well, he sent us all that stuff as well, which was incredibly generous, amazing. Yeah, and, and then he says, made as well, and it's really good quality stuff. You know, it's yeah, yeah, not quite as beautifully made as Freely Gun's stuff, I've got to say, but but getting there, getting close. <laughs> I love the Blood and Plunder book with the whole feel of uh, it being, you know, an old journal um, as part of the book. That's it's a really nice touch. I like that very much. Yeah. Um, well, shall, shall I criticise it now? Can I? <laughs> shall I do that? 
So, yes, I like that. And it's a little bit like what Free League do. We talked earlier in the episode about them making, uh, uh, making their books fit the genre of the game they're playing. Yeah. And, of course, this does that in spades. It looks like a 17th century book. It's got rough cut pages, which I really like. It's got the sort of leatherette binding, but, but you know, not just leatherette around a, a, a normal hardback, but, you know, it's, it's got the, um, oh, I can't remember what they're called now. I used to know all about this stuff. <laughs> it's got the texture on the spine, shall we say, yeah. uh, of that. But then at the front, the actual um, embossing of the Blood and Plunder title bit is a little bit offset towards the margin and and the corners the steel corners are a little bit roughly put on and not straight not proper right angles so um so i'm sure that freely would have done that forgive me <laughs> properly maybe that was uh, maybe that was the vibe maybe they maybe that was intentional to give the book mm, a, yeah i don't think so an old an old style feel you know because yeah. uh Old style books were handmade. They, in fact, this is a thing I know about. So stop me if I'm boring you. Yeah, you well, generally stop. bought you're your bo books you're me. unbound, <laughs> and then you took them to your binder, who would put the binding on according to your library, so all your books matched. And that, so the, you know, book binding was a was a real premium skill, handmade, and it would be perfect. And this isn't perfect. It's huh? it's lovely. But it's not perfect. And we're back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Matt. Um, but no, I think for me, the, thing that's the exciting insight... thing. The exciting thing is he's making them in Year Zero games. That's just that's what, what I, I wanted to say. say. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. But you didn't shut the fuck up, did you? <laughs> <laughs> book binding is really interesting, and it's something you bind your book like the God kill me now. Anyway, um. Yes, no, so I said fabulous. stop me, stop me if you don't want me to talk about this, but you didn't I did. stop me. I did. I said, I'm bored, stop. And you just carried on. Oh, well, <sighs> I'll listen to that. I'll cut that bit out when we do the edit. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, I think it's fabulous that they're working on uh, a couple of free league uh, Year Zero Engine games. The I think both of them are going to be really interesting and very different, I suspect, in, in the way they feel and the way they play. Um. And yeah, I mean, a little bit of a, uh, a kind of a, a reveal here that, that i am been invited in to help as a bit of a consultant to give some feedback on uh, Under the Black Sail, which is fabulous. And I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in and helping them out, to, uh, you know, um, you know, giving some objective feedback on on what they've done so far, which would be brilliant. Under the wait. Black Sail, you say? But I thought I saw an announcement a couple of days ago that they were going to call the RPG Legends. Um, well, I think as 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 Al said to me, there's nothing is final until it goes to print. Um, but so I think there might still be some some discussion around the uh, the, the the title of the game. Um, cool. I like so Under I, the Black Sail. I have to say, so I'm just sticking with Under the Black Sail for now. I like that. I think it's got a really nice vibe to it personally. Uh, makes the game feel gritty and you know mature, and that it's sort of taking itself seriously. I like that. I think that's cool. But that was great. Cool. It was fabulous to have Al on. He's such a nice guy. And obviously got such an interesting history, um, you know, and successful history, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, that um, it's nice to see he's such a down-to-earth fellow, you know, at the same time. It's really cool. 
Yeah, and I now feel bad about criticising his Blood and Plunder book. But no, I'm going to stick with, <laughs> so my, you should. To stick so with you my original should. assumption. It is lovely. It is lovely. It is. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Well, we have banged on for a very long time today. I said buckle up, guys. So I hope you're still buckled, as it were. Not swashbuckled, just buckled. Um, <laughs> we'll be swashbuckling with you in the future, I'm sure. Well, um, But what are we going to do in two weeks' time? Two weeks? Two weeks. Yeah, yeah. This is the news that we've been teasing and not actually saying. So, yeah, um, we hit the target, which I now think I, I put in rather foolishly. I yeah. think he was well, so far away that there's no that possible the target would never be reached. Target. Exactly. <laughs> um, and that target was to move to try and do an episode of our magazine show, this show that you are listening to right now, every two weeks. Yes. So, in two and weeks' here, time, Dave, and here what we are we going to do? Well, ah. I should say, we're probably not going to do as much in each episode. I have no idea how long this is going, but you and I have been recording for an hour now, over an hour, and we've got other bits to add in. So this is going to be closer to two. I think we're going to be aiming for about an hour a week. Uh, not an a, hour a, a week, week, an hour every fortnight. An hour an episode, yeah. And, and yeah. knowing what we're like, it'll probably go a little bit over an hour because we don't ever shut up do we is the trouble um but i think yeah that that's so that that's that, that sounds good to me um i hope the fortnightly um schedule works for our listeners uh, don't see any reason i guess why it shouldn't i think it's um, got some distinct advantages so our world of gaming i've noticed a few times in the last year that something's happened in the world of gaming just after we've recorded an episode and then, you know, three weeks later, it's old news or, you know, um, yeah, we've that's... actually missed out whole Kickstarters that have only been three weeks long because yeah. they've fallen between the two. So World of Gaming will definitely improve. It'll be more up to date because it'll be happening every other week. Um, but we will go down to doing one feature. So like in this episode, we've had the Syndicate and we've had the Alex Aguila interview. And now it will be, if you like, one or the other. Um, and it'll be mostly written features but when we have an interview it'll just be the interview yeah and i think actually you know because sometimes our, our written features don't take very long uh whereas sometimes our interviews can be half an hour 40 minutes mm. or longer so we'll just have to um we'll have to play it as it goes and see see how see how see how we do with the content with um you know how much we've got to talk about but i think we're going to aim for an hour an hour long episode fortnightly from here on yeah. in and uh, next week, it's going to be an interview, and it's going to be an interview with our friend and patron, uh, 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 Craig Duffy, who is producing the Cassandra Project as part of ZineQuest. So you wanted cool. to find out more about ZineQuest. You can ask him all about that when we interview him in a couple of weeks' time. Brilliant. Um, and that will be right in the middle of his campaign as well. So if you're interested in it, and you Perfect. should be, because... Wow. I've known Craig for some time. Uh, we, we're, we're dragon meat friends, I think is the way to call it. Mm. And uh, uh, I've been watching the development of the Cassandra Project for some time, and it looks like a great little game, perfect for something like ZineQuest. Cool. Excellent. So we'll have that next time. Next um, time. Then, then after that, <clears throat> I think uh, I'm going to be doing a bit of work around uh, game design for historical games. Yes. Given that you're uh, working on uh, Blood and Plunder now, and also we've got Tales, uh, of, the Tales of the Old West, and you've got ideas about Rome and Wars of the Roses. Absolutely. And um, 
We'll get Thomas on as well. Uh, Thomas from uh, our, again, friend and patrons, who's been producing a wonderful uh, Meiji Japan version of Vason yes. and also has lots of ideas about uh, historical games. So that will be uh, a piece of you and a bit of a discussion about how do we use, I think, the world zero, uh, the year zero system. Uh, how do you hack that into historical genre? Cool. Sounds good. Brilliant. So that's in four weeks' time. <clears throat> now, though, it is time to say goodbye. Goodbye. May the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.